As a disclaimer, this episode may be a trigger warning for those who are sensitive to their struggles in this moment. We don't always know why, but sometimes God allows us to suffer. There was a 17-year-old woman named Joni Erickson Tyler who tried to commit suicide in 1967 by jumping off of a bridge into water that was too shallow. She broke her neck and was paralyzed. Years later, she ended up with cancer. And during an interview, she was asked about her suffering. And this is what she had to say. She said that suffering is like a little splash over of hell that comes early, but just enough to wake you up from your spiritual slumber so that you can appreciate the actual hell that the Messiah rescued you from. And finding God in the middle of your suffering is a splash over of heaven. Straight out the gate, I want to tell you all that I struggled to do this episode, not because of the topic, not because I wasn't prepared, not because of doubt, but because I was in a little storm, and my mind was distracted, and I couldn't be present. It was like I was being tested on my topic, and I didn't realize it until now. So I tried to replenish myself by listening to the word, and reading, and worshiping with my headphones on while listening to music, and I sat quietly, and during my process... I um, found out that Paul, from the scriptures, had written some of his most famous speeches in the Bible amidst his struggle. And it's funny because I've always written when my heart was heavy. And although our trials are not the same, I thought about how he was in prison for speaking God's word and he was beaten with rods and stoned and lashed 39 times on five different occasions. Yet he said, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And he wasn't boasting. He said it was just that he was obligated because of the call. So he became anchored in the word. And he understood that there is strength and weakness. And that in the end, we can't change some things. So it's all about what our trials produce. The father said that he declares the end from the beginning in ancient times from what is still to come, and that his purpose will stand no matter what, and that his word endures on its own. But you and me, we must first heed the call and then walk in the manifestation of the call in order to be delivered and live in peace and holiness and in obedience. We're supposed to learn to be patient and endure until the end in order to be established by him. So he says that we need to endure to be in his will because that's where he confirms us and teaches us and trains us for what lies ahead. And he uses our years to sanctify us to be fit for the kingdom, right? But it's difficult. We grow weary and we don't truly embrace this idea because this life and its struggles are what we know. With that said, I want to talk about a video that was sent to me of a person who was fed up with talking to God and was basically telling everyone else to let it go too. She said that there really is no reason to pray because it doesn't really change things. And I understood some of her headspace because I've been there to an extent, but I want to talk about that perspective for a minute. 
She felt like the scripture that says no weapon formed against this will prosper was nonsense because every weapon that has been formed against us has prospered. Bad school systems have prospered. She says your job prospers against you, the government and corrupt politicians and the medical systems, they all prosper against us. And listen, I'm not saying she was all wrong, but she wasn't completely right either. The problem for me was that she made an all-encompassing statement about the role of a word that she was not even privy to as it pertained to the function of the word that she's, the world that she's a part of, right? In reference to a people who actually believe the word will prevail even when it doesn't look like it. The scripture she used as reference was a statement that was made to Israel during their final years of being exiled. They were in exile because they were disobedient and they worshiped false gods. So they were sent into captivity as a symbol of the lost bride who would become spiritually, physically, and emotionally barren until she went through a process of restoration. But she got comfortable in exile and was reluctant to leave um, and to receive the promise to return home when the time had come. So the father says to her, listen, he speaks to Israel, for a brief moment, I have abandoned you, but with great compassion, after you have been tried, I will regather you and no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And you shall confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment because of where you've been. This is the heritage of those who abide or serve me with their hearts and minds. Those who are aware and consistent and diligent in spirit and in truth. This will be their vindication. Not just because you suffered, but because of how you suffered. Now, you know it's been said that bad doctrine is a perversion of hope because we believe whatever we believe is tied to our well-being and hope deferred makes the heart sick. One sees a problem as um, unrelenting or as a constant disappointment. That person aren't, probably aren't seeing God's providence, right? They're not seeing the nature of his spiritual power in that situation, right? And his wisdom in spite of it all. So there are patterns of this world. The word tells us that. And there are principles of God. And then there's the will of man. Principles say that if you eat badly, your body will suffer. If you're promiscuous, your soul will suffer. Hallelujah. If your pattern of thinking is of this world, your mind will succumb to it. If you're not delivered, your life will be bound by circumstances, right? Principle says that there's binding and loosing and rest for the weary and that we must pray without ceasing and cast our cares. The world says you only live once, do you? It's okay to try anything once. The world redefines living and it normalizes depression just because it's prevalent. The world medicates us. We say, I'm doing the best I can. I've suffered long enough. I deserve more. Why me? I can handle this. I can't handle it. I quit. 
without understanding the weight of the words and the implication they carry against the will of God. Because we don't know him like we should, we are not completely connected. Oppression is at an all-time high. Patience is thin. Coping levels are low. The side effects of medications are half a page long. And the weapons of our own warfare has prospered against many of us, be it mind, body, livelihood, or soul. So what are we to do? How should we live? What do we fight for? Do we just go with the flow? Do we redefine our destiny? Do we give up? Or do we learn what it takes to perceive life his way and prepare for battles, even in the midst of the storms? It's hard for a disconnected mind to discern the intent of an encounter that you've never had. And even when you've had a glimpse, we're still inconsistent because it's difficult to see the forest for the trees when your reality is greater than his purpose or your understanding is limited by your thinking. It's hard to perceive his love when you don't know what his love is. It's hard because we tend to learn the wrong lessons and we judge it from that space. How do we know he's real when he doesn't show up the way we expect him to? How do we know him beyond the ordinary, beyond the tradition, beyond the intellect, in a world full of predicaments? I sure don't profess to know it all. But for me, it seems like the only way to know him is that we allow his spirit to bear witness with our spirit. When we pray and our prayers reach and our praises reach into portals of heaven and his presence is able to come down and interact with us, his spirit will bear witness with us. But it's not a carnal encounter. It doesn't happen our way. And it doesn't happen just because we're hurting or we're suffering. I've cried out so many times in the midst of a bad moment and nothing happened. He only reveals himself in his time, by his will, according to his word, in his grace, and through our obedience. The Ruach HaKodesh, the intimate expression of him, makes known the sacred and the profane, the good, the bad, the suffering, the resolve, the sorrow, the joy, both sin and conviction and love and forgiveness and truth. As long as we live, or until all be fulfilled, we can argue day and night about how he chooses to reveal himself, or what he is or isn't doing, or if he is real. But I say that as sure as you are here, as sure as you are listening, he is real. He is as real as the words that come from your mouth. He is as real as your passion and the effects of your pain. So the question we should ask ourselves is, why do weapons prosper against us? Why do we live in vain? Why do we have, why don't we have any power? Why do we give up so many times? What are greater works? What is his promise? Why are we here? What is the significance of free will or the intention of a prayer? The answer is in the questions 
because the issue is in the struggle. But our understanding is limited because our pursuit of him is too shallow. We're going to have to choose our battles and I believe that we were born to know him and we need his guidance to execute his plan. We have wasted enough time comparing him to our standards and praying through our consequences without ever reaching the other side of them. Someone said it's all in how you weigh your thoughts that matter, not that you have thoughts, but how you rest in the pattern of your thoughts. So when you focus your energy on the things that hinder you, you'll end up seeing everything but the right thing. It's easy to want to give up when your circumstances don't change. Hallelujah. But you are the change. And deliverance takes place in the seat of the struggle. As long as you struggle, deliverance must take place. And if you move ahead of his will, you'll only create a new pattern of the same struggles. Yeshua, who was the deliverance of God manifest in the flesh, challenged a man on his views. Deliverance challenges your view. Yeshua told Simon, a professional fisherman, to deny what he knew when the fish weren't biting and he was about to give up for the day. Yahushua said, stay in the water, Simon. Stay in the water, Tara. Don't abandon the process. Launch out into the deep and let down the net again. Cast your thoughts. Weigh your perspectives in me. And Simon still thought, but we toiled all day and night and have not taken in any fish. So, nevertheless, I'll do what you say without totally understanding. Simon launched his net out into the deep and the net became so full of fish that it was about to break. His obedience was in the overflow. Fish in Hebrew is dog, symbolizing the unconscious, the higher self, change or rebirth. Yeshua said he, he used the opportunity Simon was in to reveal something to him and to me and to you because he understood that the human consciousness can't maximize divine inspiration without submitting to the Spirit of God. The human consciousness can't maximize divine inspiration without submitting to the Spirit of of God. And that is where an awareness comes from. We were meant to function higher than our circumstances. So when he feels as though, if it feels as though you're hitting your head against the wall and no one understands you and you feel alone or like you're going in circles, it could be because of your consciousness. Your frequency is not high enough to do what it takes to knock down the wall. Our choices can limit us when our faith is inconsistent because of what we've been through. Every choice we've ever made was either in or out of the will of God. And for the things that happened to us that shouldn't have, they are those situations that we can't change. And they can't always be explained. But we can learn how to reinvest the energy it takes to ensure that we don't have to relive those moments so that God can work it out through us. He wants to, us to experience his love and his wisdom and his healing power and the power of submission and the authority of long suffering and the ability to uh, embrace beauty for ashes, knowing that it won't be easy. 
I say sometimes it feels like we're walking through the fire just to be purged of the storm. But it was decided, and we must learn how to divide and conquer in every moment. So Satan, the father of lies, was once called Lucifer, right? And he was beloved by God, and he was the star of the morning and the sun of the dawn, and he was wise and adorned with the excellence of every precious stone that was prepared for him on the day he was created. And he existed in a complete state of glory as an angel of light. He was anointed cherub who covered and protected. He stood blameless in his ways until unrighteousness was revealed through him. Then imperfection and evil entered him and eventually the world. Why? Because the absence of light is darkness. Perversion entered his heart and he became proud of his beauty his intelligence and his power, and he corrupted wisdom for the sake of merit, even as close as he was to God. But he was not God, and he was not able to be controlled, and he was able to be controlled by the inclinations of his heart, and he desired a position that was not his. In one moment, one thought, one decision, he aborted the mission. He denied what he was created to be and chose to no longer serve purpose because he wanted purpose to serve him. And so now, our calling is not based on our ambitions or our desires or our talent or our worth. Our calling is contingent upon the integrity of our suffering and the measure of our submission through it all. I can accept that there's an undertaking that I must succumb to to be able to wage the right, the right war because I don't know about you, but I'm getting tired of hearing myself talk and too old to be out on a limb, subjugated to antics and tactics and distractions and circumstances or people. Not everyone will understand you. Some people will not always be available and even those with your best interests at heart can only carry you but so far. You are responsible for your soul and you must learn how to honor that. And so here I am in this space. I'm speaking to you from a place that the Father has spoken to me in my shallow spaces. He said, I need for you to go deeper. Seek to understand my will for you. You already know your weakness and your plights. You know what it's like to not be able to hear me. You have seen commitment outside of me fail time and time and time again. You know rejection. I have allowed you to comprehend a sense of loneliness within purpose. I have shown you hidden places and revealed those whispering faces and the knife in the back. It was me telling you to look up. Still, you continue to fight out loud from a restricted space for so long until you've experienced enough fear to keep me from being faithful. Fear that has become your arrogance Fear that has enabled patterns and limitations. Fear that has left you exposed to your enemies. And I have entrusted you to broken places so that you will learn to surrender and submit to loving me with the best and worst parts of you. I love you and I accept you. And I extend once again to you a portion of my might and the fortitude to fight and endure. I have gifted you with dreams and visions and discerning, not for you to be overwhelmed not for you to be sick, not for you to sit in your feelings, not for you to be taken for granted, not for you to succumb to excuses, not for you to be anyone's victim, not for you to be reduced to taking matters into your own hands, not for you to seek comfort in anything or anyone else. 
and not for you to break or to fold, but to empower you to karah, to cry out, to proclaim, to endure, to have the ability to control your impulses, not to justify what takes care of its own, but to lay it all down, to choose between greatness and degradation in every situation, and to manifest the call. This is not a challenge. It's a commission. Go forth, daughter of Benjamin. Make your decree, man of faith. Declare the integrity of heaven on earth. Put your hand to the plow. Commit to the cause. And do not look back. No more lying to yourself. No more pride. No more shame. No more doubt. No more blame. No misplaced fear or aggression. No unforgiveness. No contemplation. No carnality, no flesh shall glory in his presence. Ordinary will no longer do. Wishful thinking won't see you through. Listen, we have been in the last days since Pentecost, according to the word, when the Father said, In the last days I will pour out of my spirit on all people. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. I will directly interpose in the affairs of men because tribulation will increase as a sign of my coming, and you will need an encounter with me. So it's time to put on the whole armor of God to be able to stand against those weapons that are able to prosper under the right conditions, those arrows of adversity, those cunning devices, those crafty schemes, and the systems that run this world. But what is the body armor, and how do we put it on? In Hebrew, it's shiryong. It means to make secure for spiritual battle in the midst of tribulation, but it has to be adorned or put on or submitted to on a day-to-day -day basis intentionally. To put on is lasim in biblical Hebrew, and it symbolizes something transformational through God. So this body armor is an operational plan. One that began with the idea of the priestly garments in biblical times that were worn in the wilderness it's been said that those garments are a pattern that recalls the Eden narrative in humanity's ideal role. So the priests represented the new Adam and how humanity would enter into the space of God's provisions, yet humanity failed at it. Then Yeshua became our new Adam and was sent to show us the way. So let's look at it from that perspective for a minute. Part of the arm of God was the belt of truth which is a concept that symbolizes what supports us or girds us, but it also prepares us for challenges. A belt can be used to define or to hold something up or to carry tools and weapons like the truth, or emet, aleph, mem, tav, which means that the Father has sealed his word by a sign through the Messiah, the anointing, this truth encompasses all things and endures all things from the beginning to the end. It is a divine revelation, and it's what we must be connected to by prayer through worship until it all comes together. As far as the breastplate of righteousness, to the Hebrew mind in Isaiah's day, this was a garment that was symbolic of how you were to live. It was a plate that was covered with 12 gemstones representing the tribes or the blood ties of a people with a common culture and dialect, a people rooted in Yahuwah. 
These gemstones were placed on his breastplate to symbolize his protection as it covered vital organs on, and on it were four rows of three stones. The carnelian, the chrysolite, and the emerald, the turquoise, the sapphire, and the amethyst, the jacinth, the agate, and the crystal, then the barrel, the lapis lazuli, and the jasper. Not only were these gemstones a declaration of wealth, but they were a sign of divine creation. They symbolized the value, the beauty, and the durability that comes with those who follow the correct path in the faithfulness of God. Remember the eyes of Yah toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Now, having your shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace is that part of the armor that is intended to keep you grounded. To be shod means to bind under one's feet, to be in alliance with, tied to, or at, at one with the word of God. Remember, the enemy is supposed to be under our feet. This means that all things are submitted to the sovereignty of his command. All things are under his feet. This is a spiritual shoe for our defense through the connection of the Besora, the report of the messenger, the one who was delivered, has delivered the good news from the other side of the war that has already been won, the Messiah, the one who experienced the realm of God, the realm of death and suffering. And um, when he descended into hell, he took the keys that released us from the sting of death in order to reset the course so eternity wouldn't have to be, um, eternity would be different once we were redeemed. So now in our process, his sacrifice has become the peace that is able to withstand the convictions of the enemy. Now, the shield of faith. This is that buckler of defense that also is connected to a source, and it's um, effective when our walk becomes a witness of his word so that faith can yield an impenetrable force against spiritual attacks. The idea of the shield is that it covers and protects most of the body, even when you're suited up already, so that you can continue to move forward in the midst of the problems. You know, your assurance is in the shield, it's your faith. The helmet of salvation is a principle that can be linked to the idea of the priestly headdress or the mitre worn before the Messiah um, was here. The mitre comes from a root word meaning to wrap, like a turban. But this garment had a frontlet attached to it that symbolized the atoning of sins. This head covering had to do with our salvation in Yeshua. His name was written Yod, Shin, Vav, Ayin, He. And each letter means representing God's deliverance from bondage, particularly in the mind, as his hand transforms our reasoning so that we can have a mind like his to think straight and to overcome trials. The word of God is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to dividing souls and spirit and joints and marrow, meaning it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart concerning everything you do. The Hebrew letter Zion means sword, as in the sword of the spirit, or that word that cuts deep enough to convict and to remove what's not needed. Zion is also a plow, a tool that is used to break up fallow ground, land that has been left to rest and regenerate for the purpose of bringing forth seed, because anything seedless has been known to have been manipulated by man. So the sword of the spirit is our spiritual ammunition when it comes to dealing with spiritual matters and warfare and discernment. We are commanded to be strong in Yahuwah God, to gabar, 
to prove superior the one who is, was, and is to come. Thought by thought, circumstance by circumstance, with every step and notion, laying aside every impediment or hindrance and the sin and the sin that so easily threatens us. We have to raise our vibrations in order to proclaim vision and voice to those empty spaces and to disarm the effects of damage at its core and then let it go. But the problem is, we have too many voices speaking to us. Pettiness speaks, doubt speaks, habits speak, revenge speak, people speak, memories speak, soul ties speak, abuse and self-preservation speaks, stubbornness speaks, frailty speaks, hurt speaks, offense speaks, ego and pride and arrogance and ignorance, they all speak. And we are psychologically distracted and physically worn because these voices are relentless and they breathe lies and darkness and confusion and fleshly attributes that cut deep but heal shallow. And we become accustomed to live in that way. And when God speaks, we're not able to recognize his voice. But our breakthrough comes at a cost that is acquired beyond our tears and beyond our frustration. We have to take measures and act decisively and declare the word that we are studying over our life consistently. There's no other way. We have to manifest the call because hoping really hard and making a wish is not enough to get the job done. In closing, I want to leave you with this. For the spirit of oppression that we deal with and for the mental acquisition that leads to weakness and failure and sorrow and despair, I call forth the power of light and truth and wisdom and love. May the authority of heaven disrupt the atmosphere and bind the works of the enemy. May the word of God restrain those legions that are against us day to day and overcome generations of sin through us Father, send your word. Show us who you are as we worship you. Help us to break through boundaries and tear down walls as we seek your counsel and confirm your will in our lives. In the name of Yeshua, hallelujah, amen. Until next time, guys, may your strength be made firm in him as I bid you well on your journey.